I wonder where you find joy. Now, I work at the university here at La Trobe on campus, and uh, we actually asked people that question this last semester. Myself and other members of the Christian Union, we were in around at one of our market days, and we asked people the question, where do you find joy? And we got lots of different answers. So, for example, some said they found joy in adventure. Some people said they found joy in food. For some people, they find joy in music or sport or travel or in money. Some people found joy at the beach, which if you're in Bendigo, that's a problem. Some people found joy in watching movies or with their pets. We asked people, where do you find joy? And we had lots of different answers. But I wonder about you. Where do you find joy? Because I think joy is something that we'd all like to find, wouldn't we? Joy is a great thing. Joy is something we all want to find. But sometimes joy can be really hard to find. Of all the people we asked, no one said this. I don't know if because no one felt this or just because they didn't feel comfortable saying it, but sometimes people can feel like joy is something they can't find in anything. Some of you will know this, but uh, a few years ago I had a housemate who one day he, he walked out to Big Hill on the freeway just out of Bendigo and he stepped in front of a truck. He wanted to end his life because he couldn't find a reason to live. For him, joy was something that was elusive. He wasn't finding joy anywhere in his life. And he couldn't see a reason to keep living. So I don't know where you're at this morning, right now. I I don't know if finding joy has been something that's been really easy for you or if it's been something that's really hard for you and if that is how you're feeling, like it's been really hard, um, talk to someone about that. Come talk to me. Um, talk to someone. But if you're, that's you and you're looking for joy, um, I'm glad you're here this morning. Because this month, uh, the month of January, I want to open up this letter of the Philippians. And as you'll see... <laughs> Philippians is a really joyful letter. Joy is sprinkled all throughout this letter. Joy, rejoicing, which rejoicing has its root in joy. It's a joyful letter, and I'd love to open up the whole letter, but just for this month, I'm just going to be having on chapter one. Maybe we'll get to look at the rest of it some other time. But my prayer is that as we look at Philippians, that we too, that you too would be able to have this joy that Paul has. But for someone who shares his joy so freely in this letter, the Apostle Paul, Paul actually starts in an unexpected place when we're thinking about joy. Because Paul, as he writes this letter, he's actually in prison. Most probably he's a house arrest in Rome. 
Yet, despite the fact that he's in prison, he's still able to have, still able to express joy. Because Paul's joy is not found in his circumstances. Paul's getting his joy from somewhere else. And in the first handful of verses in Philippians chapter 1, I hope you've still got it open. First, first 11 verses of Philippians 1, we're going to look and see that, at least in this part, Paul's joy is connected with people. In case you missed it, you should have an outline there in your service sheet, and you'll see today it's brought to you by the letter P. Um, today's message is sponsored by the letter P. So we've got Philippians, we've got Paul, he's writing to the church in Philippi, he's in prison. Um, but we're going to see that he finds his joy in people, another P word, which is seen in partnership, in his Paul's prayers, and in praise to God, but ultimately because of a person. So today's message brought to you by the letter P. Paul's joy is in people. Well, let me read it again. Listen to Paul's warmth and affection and the joy as he speaks about the church that he's writing to. In Philippi, he says in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. We can find joy in relationships, can't we? I'm sure. Hopefully, you've been able to find some joy in some relationships, family, friends, romantic relationships. These can be a source of joy. Not always. Sometimes they're not, but they can be. But what is Paul's relationship with this church in Philippi? Why does, or why did they bring him joy? Well, he describes it there as a partnership. The Greek word that Paul uses here is the word koinonia. It's, it's used six times in the letter of Philippians. It gets translated partnership sometimes, fellowship, depending on the translations you use. In this, this passage is mentioned twice. He says they have partnership in the gospel, verse 5. And he says they are partakers in God's grace, in verse 7. It's that word. And Paul prays for them with joy when he remembers this partnership in the gospel, this Sharing, what what does this word mean? What does it mean to be a partner in the gospel? I know some guys who are partners in a boat. There's nothing particularly Christian about their partnership, but they kind of put in together, they're invested in this boat together so that they can share in the blessings of having a boat. Great idea. (laughs) Perhaps maybe you're being a partner with someone or numerous people in something where you shared together in something so that you can share in the blessings of that partnership. 
Paul and the Philippians, they share their partakers in God's grace, he says here. They've both received God's grace. They've both received undeserved favor from God through Jesus, and they're invested in together in that grace, and they share together in the blessings of God's grace, in the blessings of the gospel. Paul and the Philippians are partners in gospel blessings, that, and that brings joy to Paul. Indeed, if you flick to the end of this letter, chapter 4, Paul speaks more about their partnership, and he, he says this. He says, chapter 4, verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share, that's that word again, in my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, as that word again, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, the Philippians were invested financially with Paul. They gave to Paul. They gave to Paul to provide for him so that he could tell people about Jesus. Indeed, he says they were the only church who did that in the beginning, the Philippians. They were so invested as a church into Paul and his ministry of telling people about God's grace that they gave sacrificially. They gave financial gifts to Paul so that the good news of Jesus could be taught and proclaimed. And so it's little wonder that that brings Paul joy and that's little wonder that he's so thankful for them. Which is why he says in, in, back in chapter 1 verse 6, I think, he says, that he's confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, Paul is thankful for the Philippians. And he's sure, he's sure, he's confident that on the day that Jesus returns, they'll be saved in Jesus. Why? Well, if they were sacrificially giving out of their own hard-earned money to financially support Paul in gospel ministry... He says that could only happen because God's been at work in their hearts. That could only happen because God's been working by his spirit. It's evidence that they've got God's spirit as a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance in God's kingdom. That's why Paul's sure. That's why Paul gives thanks to God for them every time that he remembers them. He recognizes that only God working in them would produce that kind of fruit. And so everyone who heard the gospel from Paul, the Philippians are actually partners in that work. They share in that. I don't know about you. Just for your own reflection as a point of application, if you are someone who knows the grace of the Lord Jesus, 
if you're someone who's sharing in the blessings of God's grace, have you considered willingly, intentionally investing in gospel work, both financially and prayerfully? Because Paul is convinced that that kind of generosity is evidence that God has been at work in you, that you'll be saved. Now, I don't want to guilt you into giving, but I do want to cause you to think about partnering in the gospel. Personally, I actually work in university ministry telling people about Jesus, and I can only do that because of the generosity of Christians who give to that work. And honestly, that brings me so much joy that people sacrificially do that to enable the gospel to be proclaimed to you. That's not the only way to give to gospel ministry. There are lots of ways to do that. We as a church want to do that. We want, so we partner with some families in South Asia so that they can go there. They can live in the community where Jesus is not known. They can tell people about Jesus. As a church, we started partnering with ministry to Indigenous Australians. We consider partnering people in the gospel. If you'd like to think about doing that, if you haven't considered it, I want to guilt you into doing it, but if you want to come talk to me, um, lots of ways you can do that. You can invest in the ministry of the church here. But Paul, as he thinks about these Philippians, it brings him joy. But more than that, it drives him to pray for them. What does Paul pray for the Philippians? Have a look at Well, what would you pray? for people that you care about, for people that you love, for people that bring you joy. There's lots of things Paul could pray for them. What does he pray? Does he pray for them to be healthy? No. Does he pray for them to be wealthy? No. Does... Paul, pray for their comfort. No, and I'm not saying they're not things you can pray for people. They could be good things to pray. But what does Paul pray? Verse 9, he says, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What Paul prays for them is that they would love more. He doesn't pray that their love would abound with greater emotion or greater feeling, although nothing necessarily wrong with that. But what he prays is that their love would abound more in knowledge, in insight, Because you see, to really love someone better, that takes knowledge. It takes understanding. So, for example, I hate birthdays. Not other people's, but my own, mostly. Um, If you want to love me, don't throw me a huge party. I really hate that kind of being the center of attention. But people have different love language, right? If you want to help someone feel loved, perhaps you need to understand them better, understand the way that they feel loved. If someone's allergic to peanuts, probably not a good idea 
to give them something with peanuts in it, for example. We want our love to abound with knowledge, with insight, so that we can love people better. Likewise, Paul prays for the Philippians that their love would abound in knowledge and insight so that they know what is best, the NIV says, or the ESV, I think, says. They may approve what is excellent. You'd know what is excellent, what is best. How would we know what's best? What is that? How would you know what's best in any and every circumstance? What's the best thing? Is it best to have tea or coffee? Is it best to own an iPhone or an Android? Is it best to send your kids to Victory or to Creek Street or somewhere else? How do you know what's best, right? Years ago, there used to be these ads on TV. Some of you are probably old enough to remember them, but I'll tell you anyway. So there was this couple, they're cleaning the house, and while they're cleaning the house, one of them comes across an old lamp, and they rub it, and out pops this genie. The genie says, I grant you three wishes. And so the person says, I'll have a packet of Tim Tams that never runs out. Do you want to remember this, Ad? Jenny says, you've got two wishes left. Says, I'll have two more of those things. And then there's this voiceover at the end says, Arnott's Tim Tams, what more could you want? See, if you could wish for anything in the world, what would you want? What about you? If you could ask for anything, what would you ask for? What would be the best thing? There are seemingly endless amounts of things you could want or you could wish or you could ask for. What's the best? What's the excellent? I wonder, do you you pray for the people that you love? It's the best thing for them. The best thing. Again, verse 9, he says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge of depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So what's the best thing for people? That they would be able to be blameless on the day of Christ. The best thing for anyone is that they'll be able to stand before God blameless. Don't you want that for people? Will you pray that for them? That's not you. That's my prayer for you, that you would know how to stand before God blameless. How do you do that? You do it by trusting in the Lord Jesus. Trusting in his death on the cross in your place. Those of us who know Jesus, don't you want that for our city, for our for Bendigo, for our region, that people would be able to stand before God blameless on that last day? That's the best thing for them. 
But that's not even where Paul ends his prayer. Not only does he want them to be standing before God blameless, but he prays that they, that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. See, being right before God, being blameless before God actually leads to fruit in our lives now. It transforms who we are, changes the way that we live. Live. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Paul prays not only that they'd be blameless, but that they'd be filled with this fruit that comes from being blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. But even that is not where Paul ends his prayer. Notice, what is best doesn't even end with them being pure and blameless, all filled with the fruit of righteousness. but to glory and praise of God. So this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment, saying we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And Paul gives thanks to God for them. And the things that we find joy in, where do they ultimately come from? From God. And all of this, so that it might be for his praise. See, I wonder, do you thank and praise God for his gifts to you, for the things that you find joy in? You know, if you see an amazing sunset, do you go, wow, that's an amazing sunset? Or do you go, wow, what an amazing God that's given that to us? Or when you eat an amazing meal, do you think, this is an amazing meal, or do you think, it's amazing? how God has blessed us with such an amazing variety of different foods, different cuisines for our enjoyment. I didn't have to do that. Bread and water would be enough for us to survive on. God could have just given us bread and water. But God, in his generosity, he went above and beyond. You know, again, God, he could have filled the earth with, like, pigeons and cats. <laughs> but he's giving us so much variety, from cockers to chameleons to turtles to doves and on and on and on. Isn't it amazing the, the blessing that God gives to us? And when we think about the salvation that God has given to us in his son. Do you think it's great that I'm saved? Or do you think, isn't God amazing? Isn't God worthy of praise? Isn't God worthy of everything that I am because of what he's done for me? 
don't know about you, but I often don't think like God. And that's why we need his grace. That's why we need the peace that comes through Jesus. I pray that we would be transformed so that we are like that. Now, Paul, he's thankful for the Bolivians and he finds joy in them and in his relationship with them. But if he only found joy in them, his joy would be deficient. Mentioned that joy is mentioned a lot in this letter. The most common noun in this letter, it's mentioned 39 times, is Christ. Grace and peace is found in Christ. The fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness comes through his spirit. All of this, all the blessings come through Jesus. So if you're looking for joy, the ultimate source of joy is Jesus. That's the ultimate relationship to look for joy and that's the place where you'll find it. So joy is found not just in people but in a person, in the Lord Jesus. And we're about to sing about that. We're going to sing about Jesus, our joy in sorrow's tears, our strength to cast out fears, no other name but Jesus. So let me pray and give thanks to him. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel with Paul. Thank you that they gave to that work so that he could share about Jesus and that through his ministry, that's reached even to here, even to this century here in Australia so that we can hear the great news of the salvation that is found in Jesus. We thank you for that salvation, but more than that, we thank you for you, for who you are. Thank you that we can share in relationship with you and that we can come to you and that we can praise you because you are worthy of that praise. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.